Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What must I do to convince you people? Die. Oh, very clever, Worf. Eat any good books lately? Four book club episodes. That's what we've done so far. Well, if you count this one, we're at four. That's pretty awesome. That's really great. I mean, since, uh, you know, we start off with strangers from the sky and we've moved through that and we then did more beautiful than death and then we did the con comic hell's mirror and now we're doing q and law a classic star trek novel a tng novel welcome everyone to positively trek i'm bruce gibson and of course with me dan gunther dan how's it going hey doing great uh really enjoyed a new q novel this is a classic novel, like you said, but it's one that I haven't read. So I was really excited to talk about it. No way, really, because I was going to ask you about that. So you've never read this one? I have never before reading it for this episode. I've never read it. Okay, now that you say that, I think I do remember you telling me that. And that's one reason why it was on your list, because I have read this before. I read this not when it came out. No, I think I did. I think around the time, because the copy I have says the new novel by peter david yeah i've got the same thing on mine as well so how did you get one that says the new novel was it an old novel that was in a used bookstore did you buy it at the time but just never got around to reading it uh this one it looks i i I know i didn't buy it at the time i did grab it at a used bookstore i wish it still had a tag on it somewhere because i'm not sure where i got it but there is a penciled in four dollars on the uh front uh inside cover here so apparently wherever I got it, I paid $4 for it. <laughs> wow. That is a bargain. You know, I like looking in the book because if you open up to the first couple pages, it lists the original series and the next generation novels that are available. And I remember looking at this back in 1991 when this book came out and thinking one day I'm going to read all of these. And I can say that I've read every Star Trek novel I haven't even come close. I mean, I've read (laughs) like over 400 and that's still, I don't even think that's half or just close to half. Yeah. And I mean, the novels that are on this page, on these two pages as well, there's, you know, 56 numbered novels plus a few unnumbered ones from the original series and then 18 numbered ones from TNG uh, plus three more that are unnumbered and the current novels now. I mean, there's many times more this number. And like, even this looks like a lot of novels, but uh, compared to what is out now, man. And yeah, I, I'm like you, I'm not even close to having read all of them, even though I've read 
many more than are, what are represented on these two pages. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah. So this novel, as you mentioned, there were 18 numbered ones of TNG in the inside cover. And this is that 18th novel. And that was back in the day where every novel was numbered except for the special giant novels or whatever they were, but they were always numbered and had, it wasn't a number for reading order or book one, book two, book three, they just numbered them. And then when it started to get so high, they were like, screw it. No more numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think cause people would feel overwhelmed if they want to pick up a star Trek novel. It said number 183. Yeah, exactly. And I think the last numbered one, if I'm remembering correctly, is number 97. So they they stopped just short of 100, I think, to kind of not have that intimidating three-digit number on the front of the novel. Yeah, I think it was the Crucible trilogy, I think. Or the last uh, number one. It was well. The last ninety-seven was a TOS book. I know. That. Yeah, it was uh, in the name of honor by Dayton Ward, I believe. I, oh, I think it's okay. the one with the big Klingon bird of prey on the front. Oh, okay. And I think that was right after the Crucible trilogy. If I remember somewhere in correctly. there, yeah. I don't yeah. think the Crucibles are numbered. Feel like they're unnumbered. Oh. No, I think you're right. You know what it was? Because I was thinking it was a series. It wasn't the Crucible. I think it was the New World books. Oh, yes. Yep. Those were still numbered, those ones. Uh, I think those were the la- towards the end. Towards the end. I feel like the Rahansu ones might have been, the last two of those might have been right after them yes. or something in there. But something like in the that. name of honors, I'm pretty sure the last one. Okay. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, I've got them on my shelf. I could go look, but I'm not going to do that right now. So. <laughs> but yeah, let's talk about Q and Law. So I, I think it's pretty cool that this is your first time reading it. Uh, I remember reading this when it first came out and really enjoying it. And this is when TNG was still on the air. And at the time I remember reading this thinking, Oh my gosh, this should be an episode. And a lot of Peter David's TNG books at that time, I thought would make really good TNG episodes because he really did a good job bringing out some of the fun in the characters that we weren't always getting in a lot of episodes. Yeah. Peter David has this particular language that he uses in Star Trek books. And it, it would lend itself, I think to some really interesting and fun episodes. I do feel like sometimes his humor is a little broader than what we see in the episodes, but at the same time, it would be a lot of fun to see something like this on screen. Uh, and in particular, I think the voices of at least some of the characters, I think he captures really, really well. And like that aspect would definitely translate well over to the screen. Absolutely. And then I saw something on a tweet from Peter David recently where somebody was talking about reading this novel. And I think it was because they knew this was coming on an upcoming show of ours. And he said that Majel Barrett, who plays Luxana Troy, wanted this to be made into an episode. But the Hmm. show said, oh, no, we don't do books. Hmm. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I mean... As, as a hard and fast rule, I think that's ridiculous. I mean, we do know that Peter David can write for television. He wrote a number of Babylon 5 episodes, for example. Uh, and I remember it was always a running joke that he hadn't written any Babylon 5 novels. So Babylon 5 fans wanted him to write a Babylon 5 novel. And Star Trek fans always wanted him to write an episode. So he always just stayed in his lane for both of those franchises. So that's really too bad. I I think this could have made an excellent episode. It's my understanding that he consulted her, Major Barrett, on how Loaxana Troy sounded in this book. She gave him some pointers on some of how the dialogue should 
flow, how he should write that dialogue for her character. And as a matter of fact, this book was also made into an audio book. It's abridged, so it's not the full book, but Majel Barrett and John Delancey, who plays Q, they read the book together. So they play their characters in the audio book. So she would be very familiar with the book because she's actually read it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the fact that she obviously had such a positive experience being part of the adaptation enough that she wanted it to be an episode. I think that says a lot for the quality of the story and how well Peter David probably in her mind captured her character. So that's, that's really telling. Yeah. So I did listen to the audiobook after I read it this second time and it is abridged. I didn't notice that there was a lot missing, but there was a storyline uh, the Wesley storyline was not in here at mm. all in the audiobook, And we'll talk more about Wesley later and that whole storyline. But I was a little disappointed because I it was a that's a fun storyline to me. It's an interesting storyline. I have some thoughts. Uh, mm. good, mostly mostly positive, mostly positive. Don't worry. <laughs> Isn't that what the show's called? Mostly positive Trek? Something like that. Mostly positive Trek. <laughs> Maybe that'll be our new spinoff. <laughs> we just get a little salty in that one. <laughs> you know, we can't do this show for very long if we become old men, because it's hard to stay positive when you're an old man, right? It's grouchy old men track. At that yeah. Point. Oh, man, we could become like the Statler and Waldorf of Star Trek. I love it. <laughs> I think I know a lot of grouchy old men on Twitter that talk yep. about Star Trek. Yep, there are a few of those. Yeah, that's why I avoid Twitter sometimes. Um, okay, so let's go into this. So the Tazarans, uh, that's what the story centers around because we have a, a couple that's getting married. And they're of two major families, the Nistral and the Graziunus. And the Graziunus and Tisdral, they get along, but they don't get along. So they suppress all these bad feelings they have on each other and just play nice. That's what they've done for years, which is mm -hmm. kind of weird. You know, have you ever been in a situation where you don't like somebody, but you just play nice, Dan? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we've all been there uh, probably family-wise, probably professionally-wise. I think we've all definitely been in that situation. Absolutely. I mean, I'm in that situation at this very moment. No, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> oh, wow, Dan was drinking. It was almost a spit take. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> I wasn't prepared nah. for that one. <laughs> nah. But anyway, so the couple we have, uh, Karen, the guy, and Sarah, the woman, they're getting married, and they're going to do this on the Enterprise because it has to be on like this neutral ground or something to that effect. And Picard is very excited about this. He's almost giddy about having a wedding on the ship. And uh, so what do you think about this whole idea of a marriage taking place on the Enterprise? I think it was a fun idea. I like the justification for it, it being kind of a big diplomatic event and, and a matter of import for, you know, the, the races in this area of space. So, you know, bringing the Federation flagship in and a bunch of ambassadors and that sort of thing kind of made sense. Uh, to your point about Picard being really giddy about it and that sort of thing, this kind of goes to what I was talking about earlier with, you know, Peter David is good at capturing most of the crew and, and characters voices, but I feel like when it comes to like the main crew, sometimes he goes a little broad with 
kind of their characterizations and stuff. And there were a few times that I thought Picard was a little bit out of character. And this was kind of the beginning of that a little bit where he's so over the moon excited and about this wedding and, you know, the idea of love and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I, I can see Picard getting that way maybe, but it's at the same time, it just felt a little bit outside of his norm, which, which is fine. I mean, you can push the characters outside of their comfort zones a little bit, but it just like, it was a little odd to me and I kind of had to adjust my expectations a bit early on. I could see that. It didn't really bother me. You know, now that you're talking about it, it almost sounds like he's more like the movie era Picard, who's a little more relaxed, maybe. Maybe, yeah. Because at the time... I still can't see him getting really over the moon about two kids getting married on his ship. <laughs> you know, I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I took it as more of a... They've had a lot of serious missions, and this was something more lighthearted and would be fun, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I definitely see what you're saying, but... You know, it could have worked even better if he wasn't that excited and he was just like, just, okay, it's a job. This is what we need to do. Because I think with everything else that goes on this novel, it would just irritate him more. And I think it would have been funnier. Or maybe almost like if he was excited at the beginning, like kind of giddy about it. And people are like, oh, that's kind of weird that he's so excited about it. And then things start going wrong. And he's like, well, I knew things would go wrong, blah, blah, blah. And he was just like trying to get in this in the mood. But like, ultimately, he's like, no, I knew it. I knew this would be a disaster. And ah, this was all going to be a big bother. I even tried to get in the spirit of it. But nope, the universe won't let me. (laughs) (laughs) Bah humbug. Exactly. (laughs) Well, just so let let everybody know, we will be getting into spoilers fairly quickly uh, because that's just what we do. We just assume you've either read the book or you have no intentions to read the book and you just want to know what's going on or you haven't read the book and you just want to hear about the book and then decide if you want to now read it, even though you know what happens. So we have this as a diplomatic thing. And so we have somebody who is a diplomat that shows up unexpectedly and it's Waxana Troy, Deanna Troy's mother. How nice to see her arrive. I'm sure Picard was still very excited about the wedding. <laughs> I think if if it, the story had gone the way I was talking about earlier, this would be the first like crack in his facade. And in this novel, it actually kind of is as well. He is definitely not excited, of course, to see Luaxana. And, you know, th- where they place this in, in Star Trek 2 as well, it, it takes place in the third season uh, before she shows up in Menage Troy. So this is her third time coming on board the Enterprise. So we've had her in Haven in the first season and Manhunt in the second season. So that makes it a really fun period for her to be at because the last experience they had with her was when she was going through the phase, which was a quadrupling or more, as Deanna would say, much to Riker's shock and grin um, a quadrupling or more of her sex drive as she's seeking out a, a partner uh, so that's kind of the last experience they had with Luxana. so she's coming back onto the ship after that so they're dreading not just her per- her overly large and and lugubrious personality but also <laughs> this added um biological aspect let us say <laughs> Yeah, because she is still flirty with Jean-Luc, you know, and acting as if like, you know, they've dated and 
and just wants to grab his arm. And every time he gets to the other side of 10-4 during a reception that, you know, she makes her way over to him and she just, he can't, just can't get rid of this woman until he excuses himself out of 10 forward, which that's a whole nother thing we'll get to in a moment. But uh, so what do you think about her character in this? Did Peter David get her right? I think this is one area in which Peter David has clearly, like you were talking about, he's done his homework and he really, really captures Luxana really well here. Uh, her voice to me reading this is perfect. I absolutely hear Majel Barrett uh, <laughs> screeching off the pages <laughs> as I'm reading Luxana Troy. And I mean, I know there are mixed feelings about Luxana out there. There are a lot of fans that just, you know, oh, this is Luxana Troy episode. Skip to the next one if you're on Netflix kind of thing. Uh, I really enjoy it. And I think most of that is Majel Barrett. I think she puts in an incredible performance as Luxana. And like I said, I think Peter David just captures it really, really well here. So I'm enjoying this. Uh, she gets a little annoying at times, of course. That's how her character is written. She's right. supposed to be a bit annoying, but I'm along for the ride. I'm enjoying it. I am too. And again, I recommend the audiobook because if you want to hear her performance, then you'll get to hear it there. And the, and the lines really do work. It sounds like it's just right out of an episode. It really, oh, and you know, so with cool. it being a bridge, it's about an hour and a half long. So it's almost like a movie length. Hmm. That's interesting. I've, I've never listened to it. I've always kind of wanted to, but I just haven't had gotten around to it. So, uh, that sounds really cool. And to hear new to me anyway, new to us, Luxana Troy characterization from Majel Barrett, especially, you know, since she passed away a number of years ago, that would be, that would be a really nice little treat. Yeah, I really enjoyed her character in this. It makes it a lot of fun. I mean, just the idea of looking at the cover and seeing her character there with Q, you and, and especially even written by Peter Davey, you know it's going to be an interesting, fun novel. And that's what you have to do when you get into this. When you get this book, you have to realize that, yeah, it's still Star Trek. It still feels like Star Trek. Uh, I think the story definitely is a Star Trek story, but it's only 252 pages. And it's just a lot of fun. And if you like these characters, it is surprising that we never saw the two of them together on screen. I'm surprised they never went there because it just makes so much sense to do this. That's the thing is, I think one of the reasons why Luxana Troy and I'd say also Q uh, garner a lot of, you know, polarization in Star Trek fandom. I have a friend, for example, who we just recently introduced the next generation to and she watched all seven se seasons. She cannot stand Q. She hates Q. Uh, and I think in a lot of the same ways, Q and Luxana are very big personalities. And the next generation, you know, I don't, the word like dull isn't right because I really enjoy them, but they're very staid. They're very, there's not a lot of wildly swinging emotions on, among the crew, even with Worf, you know, they're, they're generally fairly, uh, not that over the top personality wise, but then you introduce Luxana or Q and just the ripples that they make in the crew and the, and the reactions that they evoke from the crew. Like they are so over the top comparatively. Uh, I totally understand why some people like me absolutely love them and other people just are like, no, no, it's too much. It's too much. Get them out of there. Uh, and so you put the two of them to your point together in this book and it's like off the wall nuts 
I would have loved that episode. I think, you know, it might have been a fan favorite, but there would be that segment that would just absolutely really hate it. <laughs> yeah. And when I was talking earlier about reading this book at the time that TNG was on the air, to me, the book was refreshing for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, I know what you're saying about the characters being, I mean, dull isn't the right word. I know what no, you're trying to but, get at, yeah, but they like, were very dull, stiff in a way. or Yeah. Dull without the negative connotation somehow. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, because like Gene Ronberry wanted them to be perfect and there was no conflict between them. And I remember watching the first couple seasons, especially that first season. I remember thinking they just seem so like too stiff or a little too serious. And, and when you're coming off of the original series and Bones being grumpy and Scotty having drinks and, you know, all those characters. <laughs> she and gonna then, take any more, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't so much of that. And I, I feel as the show went, it loosened a little more and they fleshed out the characters and their interactions a little better. But the time this novel came out, I remember reading it thinking, this is a little more of what I want to see in the show. You know, I want to have some episodes like this that are really fun and interesting. And like I said, like, eventually I think they got to that. But I, I agree. I think Loxana Troy is perfect in this. She sounds just like the character that we see on TV. And of course, as I mentioned, apparently Major Barrett helped write that or gave some guidance to Peter David on this. But in addition to not just seeing her with Q, but then there's also the scenes, of course, with Jean-Luc and with uh, Deanna Troy and so on and so forth. But let's go ahead and talk about her relationship with Q, because that's a big piece of this book. I like when Q is introduced because there's this reception going on in 10 forward and Guinan was there and she knows that Q has just arrived and she goes over to Jean-Luc, excuses herself and says, he's here. And that's all she has to say. He's here. And it mm -hmm. takes Picard just a slight moment to figure out, wait, what is she talking about? Oh, it's gotta be Q. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, thought that was great because it, it just shows that it's always there that Q may come back. And if anybody's going to sense him being there and you don't have to say his name, it's going to be Guinan. Yeah. And I love that introduction and the slow uh, making their way across 10 forward. And Peter David in this scene is just building the suspense because you know, it's Q, you know, it's Q on the other end. But they, he doesn't reveal it for quite a while. They're pushing their way through this crowd. There's somebody who's talking to like the, the head of the Graziunas family and, and they're all laughing uproariously. And you know it's Q, but they're just taking a while to get there. And then he's revealed Q in an admiral's uniform, uh, laughing and joking with uh, these guys. So... I, I, that was a great reveal. Just a wonderful scene. <laughs> yeah. And I love how Q's talking to the fathers of the bride and groom and they love this guy. And Loixana starts to get to know Q and, oh, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he great? And they just don't understand why Picard's like, you just need to stay away from him. Get out of here, Q. Go, go, go. And they're just like, what is wrong with you? This guy is wonderful. He's great. And he's like, you, you don't know him. You don't know him. You know? It's just like, <laughs> and, and Picard's like struggling to try to like not upset these people. But he's like, trust me, you do not need to like this guy because he's dangerous. He is not who he says he is. He is not an admiral. And Q's just like, what is wrong with you? You know, and it's just so funny. And then when they uh, try to excuse themselves and Picard's like, Q, let's get out of here 
or let's go outside, meaning yeah. outside of 10 forward, all of a sudden they end up in space in front of the view screen from the bridge. And there's Jean-Luc floating out there in space. He can breathe. And he's just floating around out in space in front of the ship. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Taking the let's step outside a little too literally, of course. And, uh, right. you know, in only the way Q can for sure. Yeah, I, I love this also for the reason that, like, you know, you can imagine this in a novel and it looks perfect and beautiful. Season three of TNG, I think, would have had a little bit more difficulty making this look realistic and stuff. So, <laughs> you know, that's one of the beauties of the written word, right? You you creating the pictures with your mind. So, you know, anything can be described and it looks amazing and, and hilarious. I feel so bad for Deanna in this novel because she is trying so hard to convince Luxana, no, no, Q's awful, Q's terrible, but she just keeps getting more and more fascinated by this guy. Yeah. It's like, you know, Q keeps playing into Luxana, just like, oh, you know, he's like, oh, you look how charming you are. You're such an interesting woman. You're so beautiful. And, uh, oh, oh, well, thank you so much, Q. And she thinks it's so interesting that he goes by a letter in the alphabet, you know, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> things like that. And poor Deanna. Yes. Oh, poor Deanna has to deal with her mother again. And why won't she listen to her? And I love how when Luxana Troy shows up and she's mourning. For Deanna, and they're like, "What do you mean she's more like that? Doesn't even make sense." And Deanna's like, "Oh, I know what it is. It's this thing called the abrex, and it's a betazoid tradition where if you you go into mourning, the mother goes into mourning when her daughter isn't married at a certain age, <laughs> <laughs> and so she's going to wear so black. obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> You're too old now, Deanna." too late for you i'm in mourning and then she's like what about that Riker guy come on you know she's trying to get her to marry Riker, which i love later where Riker, or uh he does say doesn't he like actually kind of propose to deanna in a yeah. way or something <laughs> yeah um i i thought that was a funny moment but uh you know all of course we're we have the benefit of being you know decades after this and we know where the relationship eventually does go so it it had an extra little layer of sweetness on it, I think, that whole Deanna Riker thing here. I was like, oh, just you kids, you just wait. <laughs> yeah, I know. I thought of that too. No, I, I love it. I feel, again, another reason to feel so bad for Deanna in this with her mom wearing black and in mourning for Deanna's non-married life. <laughs> it is so obnoxious is the only word I can come to think of it. Uh, it it's, oh man, I, I what a nightmare. <laughs> and then towards the end of the book, she's like, well, I am going to get married mother. And she's like, oh, really? Oh, who are you marrying the nice bearded Riker or whatever? I mean, I'm ad-libbing here, but she's like, and she's like, no. And she goes to Data and brings Data. I'm marrying Data. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I, I just, yeah, it's the very last uh, couple pages of the books. But she hauled Data in front of her mother and said, him. Data looked from the firmly smiling face of Deanna to the blanching face of Loxana. This will be very interesting, said Data. I look forward to the experience. And should by some chance there be children, we would very strongly consider them naming after you, Mrs. Troy. Call her mom, Data, suggested Riker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm killing myself laughing at the end here because 
Yeah, it's it's the typical like laughter end of an episode, right? It, it's really well done. And Data, Data is a character I think is hard to get wrong at this point in his development. So I think Peter David writes him very well here as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And I and going back to then Q and Luxana Troy and their relationship, I recall them, you know, really getting along and and they he takes her to the party. There's now like another like party reception this time on the holodeck and they're dancing in the stars and he takes her out into the real stars and then she later finds herself in her her in her room and but yeah, I think she was like, you know, sometimes questioning about him and, and like who he really is. And so there's so, a little bit of conflict there in the fact that I think she was wanting answers from him. And he was kind of like even teasing her along. Like she wanted to know, like, what is, what is the meaning of life or the universe? What are the secrets of the universe? And he, he holds up a nectarine. She's like, really? A nectarine? <laughs> you know, just little things like that where she's just like intrigued by this man, but also a little annoyed at times, but really more intrigued by him. Yeah, definitely annoyed at times, but more intrigued by him for sure. Because I think, you know, she's someone who has a very large ego, but it's also an ego that needs feeding a lot. And Q is going through the motions here of really feeding her ego, like saying like, oh, you and I, we're alike. We're so much better than all the other people. And, you know, I can see that and she's like, of course I'm better than everyone else. And of course you can see that. I don't know why those other little people don't see that, but you know, she's just kidding constantly. Her ego is constantly getting stroked by Q here. And, uh, I think it's stroking Q's ego a little bit too, because you know, he, he's got that aspect to his character as well. One thing that surprised me about this book, and I, I think it's on purpose and the way it's written a little bit is I started to get taken in a little bit by Q because, you know, Picard, every time they see Q, he tries to chase him off the ship and you're a menace, blah, 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 get off the ship. And Q basically at one point says, what have I done? Like right. I've come here, I've been a consummate guest. I've entertained your, uh, the people aboard the ship. I've swept Luxana off her feet, off her feet. She seems to enjoy my company. I've done nothing wrong. And you constantly berate me and all this stuff. And darn it. I, it got me a little bit. I was like, yeah, same yeah, here. he actually hasn't done anything wrong. Of course, of course, Picard's right. You know, of course, Q's of up course to something. he is right because of past experiences. He knows better than this, you know, that Q might show up and not be doing anything wrong at the moment, but he's got to be up to something. Yeah. But I like cast myself in the role of one of these visiting dignitaries, like a member of the Graziunus or the Nistral and be like, I, I would be like, why are you treating a guest like this Picard? Like that's so unbecoming of a gentleman and a soldier. Like you can't do this. <laughs> I would yes. totally be on Q's side without knowing the history. Yeah, definitely. That's how I was thinking too. Exactly. But, uh, and of course we know from the wedding, the, um, the two families don't necessarily get along anymore because Q has been up to something. He has been talking to the groom and he's showing Karen what Sarah's going to look like when she's really, really old and wrinkly and hair's falling out and blah, 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 you know, all this stuff. And 
And all of a sudden, you know, because they're only like, what, 17 years old, something like that at this point. They're like the same age as Wesley. So they're very young. And so this young guy is like, oh, I've seen images of what my wife was going to look like when she's really old. And it freaks him out. And then Q goes to visit her and says, oh, I've been hanging out with Karen. And, you know, you sure you want to marry him? Well, because, you know, he was dancing with all those other girls at the reception. And I know you got a little upset about that. But, you know, he was having thoughts about those girls while he was dancing with them. And and he's showing her like some of the thoughts that he's having these girls. And she's like, oh, my gosh, like he's thinking of other girls and not about me. And so Q's planting all these seeds and then he's whispering in the ears of the fathers when they're sleeping or whatever. And so the next day during the wedding, everybody's like yelling and screaming at each other and everything's going to hell and no one knows why, what, what caused all this. And of course, later we find out Q, I knew it had to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Which, you know, I, I was really wondering during this, like what the heck is Q up to? Like, it seemed really petty of him. And I guess petty is a word that can be used to describe Q at times. But it seemed like really small apples to him. And I was like, why is he trying to mess this up? Like, what's the the bigger game? And and we do learn that he kind of has a bigger idea behind it as far as, you know, teaching a lesson about love and, and how it's, you know, not this pure, wonderful emotion that humanity has made it out to be or some such. But at this point in the novel, I'm like, what the heck is he up to? Like, why does he care whether these two get married? Like, it seemed really odd to me. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it's like, why does Q care about much of anything? If he yeah. thinks he's so above humans and humanity, it's like, why is he even bothering trying to explore them? I guess they're just playthings to him, right? Yeah. It's, it's like us, you know, caring about the interpersonal lives of ants or something, you know, to hear it from Q's perspective anyway. Uh, I guess maybe this is the equivalent of like a kid burning ants with a magnifying glass or something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Thankfully he doesn't do that, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but yeah, let's go on to that lesson of love because apparently he is doing all this stuff because he just doesn't really believe in love, you know, because love creates all kinds of issues. It, It creates wars. It's like when you're caring so much and you make excuses about love and all these things. And even your songs and your poems are love, 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 love. But love is just a farce. It's so ridiculous. And then he exposes to Loexana Troy that, you know, I didn't love you. I know I said I love you, but it was all an act and you fell for it. You know, here's this intelligent woman who falls for something so easily because I'm in love with you. Well, woman, you are so screwed up and messed up and you're stupid and blah, 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 blah. And it just goes off from there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, Q is not the smartest omnipotent being in the world because before he's said all this, he also gave Luxana the power of the Q, uh, like, like he did with Riker in Hide and Q. And so after hearing all of this from Q, you can imagine what Luxana would do wielding this power, which for some reason, Q seems unable to get back from her through, I think, the just the sheer force of Luxana's will. <laughs> she she defies Q, which uh, at first when I was reading this, I was like, that's a little ridiculous. But then I remembered the effect that she has on someone as intelligent as Jean-Luc Picard. And I'm like, yeah, I can see this. I could see Luxana just being like, no, you can't have your powers back. And Q's like, but. I I can just take them back. And she's like, no, you can't. And well, he can't. She's just that strong. (laughs) 
Yeah, because she points out, you know, she's smarter than him. She's better than him. And now that she has his powers, that means she's really more powerful than he is. <laughs> and he's like, just give me back my powers, woman. And she's like, no, you can't have them. And I kept thinking, like, I would think he'd just snap his fingers and get his powers back. To your point, like, why is that not possible? But we find out later that, and I think to your point, because she is as powerful as what she can be, and then to give her powers, <laughs> I think gives her greater power. But also, we have our blonde-haired Q2 preventing Q from getting the powers because he wants to teach Q a lesson. Good old Corbin Burnson. From, <laughs> was it, is it L.A. Law he's from, I think? Yes, L.A. Law. Oh. Yeah, so the Q who shows up at the end of Deja Q to give... Our Q, our Q, John Delancey Q, his powers back is the one that's kind of behind all of this. So, you know, it's not just like I, like I kind of hinted, it, it, it's not actually just Luxana's sheer force of will, but, you know, it's also her personality that convinced Q2 to do this too. So I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. She's just that good. <laughs> Yeah, he goes on telling her that love blinded her from everything and has blinded her from common sense, that lie, that love is blind, deaf, and if in your case, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's he's doing an experiment. He says it's all been a joke. And uh she starts going off on him. She's chasing him around the ship inside and outside. Worf wants to sell tickets. Riker wants to know who should we sell them to, you know, and, uh, you know, it gets to a point then that he's like a tree and she's going to chop him and he's little at one point she's going to stomp on him. I mean, at some point I thought this was getting a little too crazy. I mean, <laughs> it's getting a little too crazy could be kind of the tagline for the final act for just about any Peter David novel. So, you know, this is kind of fitting his mold of, of how his stories tend to go. So I was definitely, like I said, this was my first time reading it. I was kind of expecting something like this for the final act of the story, because that's kind of par for the course for him. So uh, I, I wasn't surprised, but uh, yeah, it does get a little crazy, a little out of hand for sure. Yeah, but he eventually apologizes because she says, you know, apologize. Well, Picard has to step in, too, and say, hey, don't do this or whatever. And so when Q apologizes, she lets it go, and Q goes off his way, and he's with Q, too, and he's like, I should have known you were behind some of this, and so on and so forth. But then the couple does get together, and they get married at the end on the holodeck on a recreation of the Genesis planet, which was an interesting setting for, the, for their wedding. <laughs> But you know who helped them pick that setting was Wesley. Indeed. Yeah, I, I like the little name drop of, of the Genesis planet for sure. I thought that was kind of fun. And yeah, Wesley, as you mentioned here, he's got an interesting B-plot that uh, you you told me earlier was missing from the audiobook version, which, uh, you know, I, I still want to listen to the audiobook version, but it's kind of too bad we don't get that in that form because there are a lot of really interesting moments in here that would be uh, kind of fun to hear dramatized <laughs> somehow. Well, I was a little disappointed it wasn't there because everything we've covered so far in the show is in the audiobook, but this part of it, Wesley's story is not. And I was a little disappointed, but at the same time I was somewhat relieved because when you hear Major Barrett and John Delancey 
telling this story. They're not just playing their characters, but they're actually reading the narration and they're reading some of the lines of other characters. It's just kind of off-putting at sometimes when you hear John Delancey doing Picard because it sounds like Q as Picard. It's kind of <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, it's and, actually funny. Just as a little side note, I remember I had the audiobook version of the novelization of Star Trek Generations, and I think John Delancey read that one as well. Uh, so he was, you know, Kirk Picard and, you know, it wasn't dramatized. It was just him reading the book. Uh, but he did, you know, do different voices and stuff. They were not, they were very subtle, but it was still weird to hear like Q reading this story that Q has nothing to do with. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was kind of like that. And I kept thinking, oh my gosh, what's it going to be like when he has to do Wesley in this book? <laughs> and I was a little <laughs> worried about that. But uh, yeah, so that's missing from there. And there's a very important part of the Wesley story that plays in the A plot of the story. And that's with the slave gift girl that he's given. I guess she's not a slave, but she's a servant. Her name's Carla and she's a servant to Sarah. And she is a gift to Wesley. And Wesley doesn't know this because earlier when Wesley's helping this couple pick the location and stuff, the couple starts to argue just a little and he steps in and, and kind of helps them out. And she's saying to him later, you know, I want to repay you with a gift or whatever. But even when she's been talking to him, she's like, do you have a girlfriend? And he's like, no. So he later shows up to his cabin and the doors open and there's this girl from their planet and she disrobes and she's naked and she's like come on let's let's do it wesley <laughs> i just seen wesley like uh no uh i'm fumbling around and not sure what to do and then he starts to tell like Riker and stuff and some of the crew is teasing him about this girl and and there's this crewman that keeps walking by and seeing him with her at different things and like wow wesley how how's he doing this how's he getting this girl you know I thought it was funny, actually. I did enjoy this subplot. I think there were some parts that were a little bit uh, over the top with regards to the humor and that kind of thing. I'm like, ah, uh, you know, okay. But uh, for the most part, I did enjoy it. I like that Wesley is such a gentleman and just yes. will not do this. But, you know, uh, I, I think it gets dragged out a little bit too much at some points. But there's one scene that I absolutely love when uh, this Carla is uh, in his quarters and uh, he ends up having her go into like the washroom and grabs Deanna Troy and brings her in and is talking to her about it. There's one line that I was just like, this is the best written bit for Star Trek, the next generation. And this should have been in an episode somewhere. It's so good where, um, He's making where Wesley makes a joke around something like, uh, oh, if Riker were here, he would say to go for it or whatever. And Deanna says, oh, do you think Riker's somebody who would just, you know, climb into bed with anybody who's willing? And Wesley just looks at her and Deanna says, well, leaving that question aside for the moment, let's. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, it's a little bit crude, but that was really funny. <laughs> it was, yeah. <laughs> I just like seeing Wesley in uncomfortable situations. I think that was just what was fun. You're right. Sometimes it went a little too far and a little over the top, but but I was enjoying it. And I mm -hmm. missed that in the audio book. But again, there was a key moment with this uh, servant girl, the gift, Carla, that comes later because when the wedding is called off, when everybody's fighting, 
they're now going to war in their spaceships. And uh, Sarah decides that she's going to go and just sneak into one of the fighter ships and go out fighting. And of course, her fiance is out there on the other side. And Carla knows about this because she's the servant girl and she reaches out to Wesley, which is funny too, because she reaches out through communications to the enterprise and she goes through the bridge to Picard and Picard's like, yo, Picard. And she's like, yeah, may I speak with Wesley Crusher? please?" (laughs) (laughs) Have you done, have you finished speaking with your girlfriend, Mr. Crusher? (laughs) But she was warning Wesley, Hey, you know, Sarah's out there and she's going to get killed. And so Wesley, of course, alerts, you know, the senior staff. And, but before all that happens, Waxana saves her by saving everybody off the ships, by trying to stop the fighting and put them back onto their main ships and, and uh, doing it that way. But when I was listening to the audiobook, I thought, well, how are they going to handle Carla? Because they haven't even introduced the character and that's a key moment. And just in the narration, it just says Sarah's in her quarters or her cabin or whatever, you know, da, 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 and her servant girl, Carla enters. And it's just uh. like, you know, so she's just servant- brought in for that one plot point, basically. Yeah, and mm. then it, we don't even see the scene of her calling the ship. It's this that we find out that she alerted the Enterprise mm. after Sarah had left. So, yeah, a little disappointed it wasn't in the audiobook, but it totally makes sense because it's really a side story. Yeah, it it does. It probably wouldn't have worked real well in in an abridged version. Yeah, and it's one that can be lifted out. I mean, obviously, as you were able to see. Uh, fairly seamless, seamlessly, so that's uh, it's probably a good choice if they wanted to keep it to an hour and a half. <laughs> so part of the thing about this novel is where it takes place in Star Trek, and I think it's interesting for Q's development as a character because it's kind of interesting. I, I didn't get a chance to, but I kind of wanted to watch Cupid right after this because that's the next time he shows up on the Enterprise, and Q shows up saying like, Picard, I, I, you know, I see you're attracted to this Vosh person. I want to learn more about love. So I'm going to engineer this situation in Sherwood Forest kind of thing. So I, I think that's interesting that that follows on right after this one where Q, you know, is kind of ridiculing love and saying like it's worthless. It, it's almost like he came away from this having learned a lesson a little bit from Waxana Troy. and like, well, maybe there's more to this than I thought. But then again, at the end of Cupid, he says to Picard, like, I wanted to teach you that this love is a destructive thing and blah, blah, blah. So it it's actually kind of lines up with how he feels about love here. It's kind of cool. Do you think they kind of got the idea from this book for that episode? No, because that episode came out before this book was written. It's even, it's even referenced at the start of the book. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, he says uh, this takes place approximately three months before Menage Troy and sig- significantly before Cupid. So, Oh, yeah, I, you're right. I think Peter David had Cupid in mind when he was writing this a little bit. Okay, got it. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, and then the other thing with Q is I what... I was thinking about as well was his later relationship with the, uh, the, the female Q for lack of a better term played by yes. Susie Plaxon in Voyager uh, and, you know, siring a child with her basically. And I, I thought that was really interesting that like, you know, they, they kind of have this relationship, but it's as they say, of course, it's not love the way you mortals 
uh, think of it. It's, it's on a higher plane. It's much more sophisticated, you know, as you know, they would say, but I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels, but, uh, I, I feel like Q maybe mellows in his old age about love <laughs> by old age. I mean, you know, he's billions of years old, but you know, in 10 years or so, he grows up a bit. <laughs> I did think about that episode of Voyager when I read this, because I thought, well, you know, he, he implies as if there is no such thing as love or marriage in the Q continuum, but yet we know later he does have a wife and a child. Mm-hmm. And Which, so, to be fair, is an oddity, because he does say there have been no children born in the continuum in millions or billions of years or whatever it right. is. So... Which made me think when I was reading the novel, maybe he came away from this with an appreciation for love. Yeah, there could be, yeah. And trying to seduce Janeway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's a whole nother story. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, what are your final thoughts on this book? It's it's hard to find fault with this novel. I really enjoy it. It was a really fun experience. Uh, It's one that I've had on my shelf for quite a while and I've just never got around to. And I think I was kind of saving it for a special thing like, you know, doing it on the positively Trek book club, for example, because uh, yeah, it's a Peter David novel that I haven't read. And there's only a few more of those that I've never read. Uh, so it's, it's a special treat a, that it's P- Peter David in his heyday in his, you know, really strong TNG book years, I think. Uh, and it's also a treat because it's Q and Luxana Troy. It's the pairing of two of the biggest guest stars of TNG. Love them or hate them, they're, it's a big deal when they show up. So, you know, to put them together, I think, is a really special occasion. And this book did not disappoint, I think. I really enjoyed it cover to cover. I really thought it was interesting, the context in which it was written as well. So the beginning introduction, Peter David talks about writing this during the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. And I remember the 25th anniversary of Star Trek. It's fairly close to when I first became a fan. Uh, So this was a really interesting time where I was just coming into Star Trek, just learning about Star Trek and reading that introduction kind of really made me flash back to that time where, you know, just to put it in context, this book was written when there was Captain Kirk and Captain Picard and Captain Picard was the new kid on the block. And that's what Star Trek was. There was no Voyager, Deep Space Nine, uh, Enterprise. There was none of this other stuff. It was just these two, the original and the next generation. And uh, I don't know what my point in all this is, but it was just it really reminded me of a simpler time for Star Trek, which was really interesting. I love Star Trek the way it is now and where it's gone. But it was nice to kind of read something. And then I I think the tendency a lot of times is to read things with the rest, the whole wide Star Trek universe in mind. So that little introduction really made me appreciate how good a story this was in the context of there not being a whole ton of Star Trek out there at the time, if that makes sense. So I don't know. I don't know what my point with all of that is, but I I just thought it was really interesting. It really made me remember what it was like in those earlier days. No, I'm with you because it, it's the conversation we had earlier of looking at just how few books there were at that time mm-hmm. to read. Exactly. And like you came in around that same time too. It was, I mean, I always kind of watched Star Trek and knew Star Trek and liked the movies and was starting to watch next generation, but it was the year before the, 
the 25th anniversary that I really got into it. And I was reading the novels and you're right. It was just those two shows, you know, and there weren't a ton of novels at the time. I thought there were a lot (laughs) compared to now it's a drop in the bucket. (laughs) Yeah. It's a simpler time, right? Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I see the way fandom has gone and I'm like, I wonder what that would be like if the internet was around at that time, you know, would, would fandom be as fractured as it is now? I probably, but maybe not. I don't know. I, it's hard to tell, but, uh, all, all that aside, I, I do have to say, uh, I really love this novel and I would have to give it one dance among the stars. Ooh, lots of stars too. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's great. Uh, And to your point, at the time this came out, you know, it was a simpler time. It was a it was an in-between time of the TNG era. You know, we weren't at the end. We were in the middle, you know, and we were still discovering these characters and seeing new storylines and such. But besides all that, it was just that I the thing I love about this book is that it's a quick read. It really flows very fast as you're reading it. It's not super long. It's not super complicated. It's just a nice, fun read. And if you love TNG and especially these these two guest characters, then this is the book that you have to read. It's the perfect book to spend a couple hours on the beach reading, or if you have a you know plane ride that's a little long and you just want to relax and have some Star Trek fun, this is the book to do it with. So I give this book Five out of five nectarines. Ooh. And when I give nice. something a five out of five or a full hundred percent, that typically in my book means that this is a book that I really enjoyed and I want to read again. Yeah. I if I was doing a five star scale of some sort, I, I would be on a five as well, for sure. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, there you go. So if you haven't read Q and Law, well, you just heard about it. And uh Maybe you still want to read it or at least listen to the audiobook. So, yeah, I will say if you haven't, check it out. Definitely. It, it's a fun read. Uh, I, you know, I would say even for those fans out there who aren't, aren't the biggest fans of Q or Luxana Troy, I, I think it's a fun story. You know, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you'll enjoy this one. I think so too. And if you don't, let us know. And if you do, let us know. I'd be definitely. curious to hear what you guys have to say. <laughs> so. <laughs> And just so everyone knows, on our next book club in two weeks, we are going to be reading the book Star Trek The Next Generation Warped. And this is by Mike McMahon, who is the creator and producer of Lower Decks. And this is based on his Twitter feed where he created the eighth season of TNG. So it's going to be, I've never read it, but it's going to be a fun book. It's out currently now as an ebooks before the end of the month. If you're in the U.S. and Canada, it's 99 cents. So go ahead and grab it. Mm-hmm. And this one's, yeah, I've started reading it just a few days ago. It's a lot of fun. Uh, the subtitle is An Engaging Guide to the Unaired Eighth Season. So the, uh, the idea is that there's a storeroom somewhere where they shot, edited, and cut the eighth season of the next generation and just never released it because it was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) But now we have it. (laughs) That's great. I can't wait. I haven't started yet, but that sounds really good. Anyway, Dan, where can people find you online? If they want to tell you if they like the book or not, 
Well, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. And on YouTube at youtube.com slash Productions, And on my book website, treklit.com, where I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. And I promise to update that website more. Yeah, and you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And of course, our handle is Positively Trek. And our Facebook group is out there. So there's different ways that you can reach us. And we have an email address, which is PositivelyTrek at gmail.com, which I don't think I have access to. Maybe I do. I don't know. But I've never looked oh. in the inbox. At least Dan's checking the inbox. I think <laughs> I have access, but I've never looked. But I will. Anyway, so everyone stay positive and read a good book. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.